0: Welcome into the Chiefs Zone Podcast. My name is Farzine Vesugian and the Chiefs getting ready for Sunday Night Football. First primetime game of the year. Very excited about that. Zach and I will be breaking down that game and a whole lot more on this episode. Little time to waste. A lot of we want to get into Uh, Ellen Mathis will be joining us from Arrowhead Addict. Uh, She is also an attorney. She's going to provide some of her expertise on the recent uh, news about Tyree Kill and Crystal Espinal. And I know a lot of people listening may not want to hear all of that in detail. And I think it is important to kind of address that because uh, here's the thing. A lot of people still, uh, a lot of fans outside of Kansas City, still uh, tying Tyree Kill into this child abuse allegation saying he did it. And I think these details that are coming out will definitely help clear things up uh, as far as his name goes and what he was accused of. So I think it's important that we do address that. But we're also going to talk Chiefs with Ellen Mathis, so we will do that. also, four games into the season, we're a quarter into the season, five things the Chiefs need to improve on. I will talk about that as well. Also, uh, there is a record that Patrick Mahomes could be breaking as well. Uh, Not anytime soon, but he is inching closer and closer to that as well. So we'll talk about that. Uh, Also, obviously, we will break down the game between the Chiefs and Colts. We will give our predictions and a golfer. Got suspended for three years. All of that and much more here on the Chief's Own Podcast. I am Farzing Vesugian. He is Zach Stegna. You can follow me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Farzing Follow me and like my Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter at Farzing21. Zach is at Z Stegna. And you can text the podcast at 913-808-2119. Got a couple of texts to read here on this episode. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast as well and you share the links. For this podcast, as I mentioned, Zach Senga all the way in New York City joining me here on this podcast. Zach, how is everything in the Big Apple?
1: I mean, it's, you know, it's the Big Apple, so it's you know mostly good, but it's also just, you know, crowded and noisy and, you know,
0: awesome, actually. So, life's good, it, it, man. It, it is always crowded and noisy. It, it, it feels like, is it always like this, or do people just want to honk their horns and have trains go by? While we're recording the podcast, I feel like they only want to do that. Are are you sure? Because sometimes you and I will talk on oh, the phone, no, FaceTime, like and whatnot uh, before the show and what and everything. But it's always like, the, the, I mean, well, look, we might as well address it Okay, on the podcast, we obviously have more sirens and all that since the since uh, you, you've moved to New York. But look, we can't do anything about that. Is this like? Is this typical New York etiquette to just honk? non-stop to get someone's attention. Like, like, how does that work in New York?
1: I mean, more often than not, it's uh, normally a car that is, like, you know, approaching a crosswalk just to say, hey, pedestrians, I know you think you can walk here even though you don't have the walk sign, but please don't because I'm a car and I have the right-of-way and I really don't want to hit you. Um, That's normally the majority of the honking unless, God forbid you know, that you are a car who, you know, the light has just turned green and you have not already slammed on your accelerator. Um, that happens a lot too. Uh, that's normally what you're hearing when you hear lots of honks at once. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just kind of, you, you almost learn to tune it out uh, here in the city. Like you, the, the sirens, the horns, kind of all of it. The one thing that is very, very different for all of our listeners in Kansas City, especially, uh, you know, in Kansas City, whenever there's like, you know, Fire trucks or police sirens or whatever, like any sort of a siren, you know, it goes by fairly quickly. Like it's there and then it's gone because they are you know able to make their way through traffic pretty effectively because people get out of the way. Here in New York, less so, just because like it's not necessarily due to people not wanting to get out of the way. It's just because normally there's just not room to move. Um, But. As such, you know, the sirens, You know when they're here, they linger you know what's for a really while. Last, because not even this past Labor Day, weekend, the Labor Day weekend, but the Labor Day weekend before that
0: it. on a Friday, I didn't have work. So my brother and I, uh, we uh, went to uh, Manhattan, Kansas, and uh, I, I had been there once to cover a KU football game, but I, didn't, I obviously didn't get a chance to really explore the city and whatnot. Uh, and I've always wanted to see it. I mean, even though I'm a KU fan and all, I, I like to see other college towns in the area, and I haven't really had a chance to see other uh, other college towns, but, uh, I remember, uh, visiting, uh, well, before I went to Manhattan, you know, my brother and I, we were getting ready to go, and, uh, I was telling him, uh, all right, yeah, sure, let me do a podcast, and it was on a Friday morning, and we'll head out after that, so what happened was, we were doing the podcast, or I was doing the podcast, I should say, so as I'm about to do this podcast, uh, and I don't remember exactly what we talked about on that episode, but, Uh, my neighbor decides to mow his lawn. And look, it's a Friday morning when I'm recording it. Generally, I'm doing it in the evening. So, it's obviously a little different. People are busy and doing stuff. But, it's like, man, I actually had to wait for this guy to finish mowing his lawn. I'm sure people remember that. Uh, if you, I, I don't know how far the Apple Podcasts or iTunes archives, uh, allow you to go far back. But if you go, go back. If it's available, you will hear the lawnmower for. That episode, uh, real quickly, before we move on, because I mentioned before, you and I have worked together at uh, at Ku uh, on Ku Student Radio Station. That's how we met. I still, mm-hmm. uh, the very first time I met you was uh, I was doing play by play for Ku versus South Dakota State. This is 2012. This is Charlie Weiss's first game as the head coach of Kansas, and. I was told uh, a freshman was doing silent reporting, and I, I I was bothered by it. I'm like, who cares? I mean, if he earned the opportunity, good for him. And so we met well, each other. I, and- I don't know
1: about earn the opportunity. Actually, that's a really good story too. If if you don't <laughs> mind my diving in on it. Yeah. So- well,
0: let, let me let me just share this. Um, you actually knew who I was because at the time I was writing for Bleacher Report. You mentioned that you had uh, you had read my articles and all. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. So, well, so plus, that was I mean cool. your you...
1: name was pretty I mean I figured there weren't too many Farzine Vesugians out there. So I figured I'd, you know, just kind of find out.
0: Yeah, I mean, you don't get many of those. Uh, but go ahead. Share your side. Like how did you end up getting picked for Sideline?
1: So, quite literally, I, you know, this was, you know, maybe second week of my freshman year. You know, they do all that, you know, Hawk Week stuff where they have all the different organizations out there tabling, giving away free stuff. Uh, and uh you know, I had you know, found my way to the kjHk booth uh, you know amidst many of these other ones uh, and I think Stroffman was out there to be honest I really couldn't tell you who but there was somebody about recruiting for the sports staff and I was like well shoot shoot that sounds fun like you to know, be, to be clear
0: you're you're referring to the sports director for KjHK
1: yeah at the time it was Pat Stroffman yeah uh, and, but someone was out there recruiting for, you know, to do sports radio. I was like, well, why not? I like sports, and I like radio, so I could do these things. And you know, at that point, I was also you know, a freshman. I was like, well, why not? You know, there's op- an opportunity that's coming my way. I'm going to take it. And uh, so fast forward, you, know, you get to that first meeting, uh, and he's looking for you know, volunteers for sideline duty. And I've never done any of this before in my life uh, <laughs> at this point. And I was like, well, shoot, why not? Uh, that was kind of the moral of the story here is like, I mean, why not? We'll see how it goes. And then next thing you know, I'm on the sideline for the first football game. Like that would have been my first football game as a student at KU. So kind of a wild way to, uh, you know, start it off, but it was a lot of fun.
0: I did not know that. I did not know that's how, uh, that's how you started. That's actually, that's actually really yeah, interesting. Completely
1: um... underqualified, but it was fun.
0: Uh, So, I was also picked to do play-by-play, and then there's another guy. uh, So, I'm going to play an audio clip. This is from KU versus South Dakota State in the second half. So, Zach, and then by the way, I mean, for a freshman, obviously this was your first time doing that. uh, I was actually really impressed with everything you did. At one point, though, I did get really upset with something you did so, you're going to hear some crazy things. You're going to hear, by the way, our voices are a little bit different. This was, what, seven years ago? So, understand that. Uh, my play- yeah, sure play, mine's a little higher. <laughs> my, my play-by-play ability definitely needed work at the time. Uh, keep in mind, it's a student station. But uh, I- I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to let you guys listen. This is uh, Zach basically uh, interfering with uh, our work. Here's what happened. One receiver set, play action, and a lopsided pass. It is intercepted by number 37 for the Jackrabbits, Skyler Luxa. It was a very lopsided. The pass was not really perfect, not a spiral that you normally see from a quarterback. Charlie Weiss is going to let him hear it, and I think he's doing it right now. Uh, Jimmy Mundine has to help the quarterback out a little bit there. Once you get out of a passing play, And you know you can't make that catch. You still have to stick with it. Let's go to Zach Stegengau, who's got an update for us after that takeaway. Zach, what do you have for us? Well, Farzine just picking back up up off of what you said. Charlie Weiss is going to let him hear it. You know,
1: I'm a little surprised. I think I'd be a little more scared being Dane Chris because I think he just got the silent treatment from the old ball coach (laughs) on the sideline. All right, so I'd say Weiss is pissed.
0: All right, back to you. (laughs) All right, thank you, Zach. And at the 40-yard line, Zenner tripped up. Weiss was only, I think he only gave Chris a couple of words when I saw Chris walk back to the sidelines. Sumner in shotgun formation, three receivers set. Steps back, Sumner looks for a receiver right at midfield. It's actually going to be incomplete. And that's going to bring up third down for the Jackrabbits. Well, a big play upcoming here for KU's defense. The passing defense has been a little bit rough here in this second half. This is a great opportunity for redemption for this Jayhawk defense. Let's see what Summer does. Sumner at the 35-yard line in shotgun formation, snaps it, quickly dumps it off to Zenner, overthrows him. Could not get Zenner, and he was under pressure, Trevor. Absolutely, a great job by the front seven to flush the quarterback out of the pocket. Good work for this defense. Special teams unit coming up now. Zanegeli, or excuse me. I believe that Sorvatka punts it away, not under pressure like he has been a few times today. And that is gonna go right into the end zone for a touchback, and we are gonna take a break here on KJHK 90.7 FM. Okay, so obviously you heard, you know, basically two college students out of control because Zach said the word pissed off, and my immediate reaction was Are you allowed to say that on the air? By the way, the sports director who you mentioned, Pat, um, he's the spotter. So for those who don't know, a spotter basically helps uh, the play-by-play guys uh, basically figure out who made the tackle. Because sometimes you're far away in these press boxes, and the spotter generally has binoculars, as do the announcers. Uh, but he just wasn't even doing his job because we were just laughing the entire time. That's why you heard so much silence in there because neither of us could control ourselves. I, I kept looking at Trevor. I kept giving him this look, like, "Hey, can you kind of just take over? Because I, 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 I'm losing control right now." Uh, so that was that. Was, what was your reaction like when you heard us just basically laughing the entire time?
1: I mean, I'll be honest. I figured something was funny. I didn't realize it was me. <laughs>
0: No, it was you. The I don't know uh, when we told you this, but I tagged all of you guys on a Facebook post like two days later because Mm -hmm. uh, Brent Musburger on ESPN he he said I I don't know exactly what happened, but I think he also said the words "pissed off" and his color announcer. I can't I can't think of his name right now. He also like kind of just like freaked out and started laughing. Out of the blue, he's like, wait, are you allowed to say that on ESPN? Which, by the way, you're allowed to say pissed off. It's not preferred, but it doesn't violate FCC violations or anything like that. So that was that was pretty funny. And uh, I remember we went back to you again, uh, and you made some sort of reference to Tim Grunhardt, former chief, of course, and he was on yeah. the sidelines and I mean you didn't say anything out of line there but we were chuckling cuz we weren't sure if you were going to say something crazy again. So well, to uh, be
1: fair, you know, uh, I couldn't have repeated any of what Grunhard was saying. I I distinctly remember that. I mean, I mean, I've been yelled at by a lot of football coaches in my life, but my goodness, he was in rare form. Uh I mean, obviously not stuff that you can repeat on the radio. So I mean, I knew at least, you know, the seven dirty words you can't say on TV or the radio or whatever that old George Carlin bit was. And Grunhard used lots of those. So I knew better than to repeat those. But to be honest, you know, I I thought nothing of it because, I mean, hey, Weiss was pissed. Um, (laughs) You know, totally gave Dane Christ, you know, his golden boy at the time, the uh, complete cold shoulder silent treatment. So, yeah, kind of an interesting little experience
0: there. Just to help, you know, everyone except for like the five people who don't know who Dane Christ is. Dane Chris was the quarterback for the Jayhawks. He transferred from Notre Dame to reunite with Charlie Weiss, and obviously a connection there, giving him an opportunity. But yeah, that well, is. Well, he's a former
1: five star recruit, which was a huge deal at the time. Yo, felt yeah, felt like for it. Sure. And we all saw how it turned out. Both
0: him and Jake Heaps, you know, really uh, did a heck of a job. Boy, you're just dropping names that I don't think anyone knows except for two other KU fans. But nonetheless. Uh, that was the uh, audio clip, for those who have always wondered. Uh, that was Zach and I's first time working together. Uh, I, I I liked him. I thought he did a great job, but that moment right there, I'm like, you could have cho- picked a better choice of words, because obviously we lost control of that entire segment, and I was really through. I was trying like to focus so hard on the play-by-play, I'm like putting, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I, I'm putting some oomph on some of those calls, and obviously you can tell I'm trying too hard. Uh, but yeah, that was, uh, that was Zach and I's first time working together on uh, KJHK, KU Student Run Radio Station. We'll break down the Sunday night matchup between the Chiefs and the Colts a little bit later. Plus, we'll throw our penalty flags on this episode as well. But as promised last episode, joining us right now on the podcast, Ellen Mathis, a lawyer, a Chiefs fanatic, and a writer for Arrowhead Addict, according to her Twitter bio in which you can follow her at Ellen Mathis on Twitter. She's been on the podcast before, and she is with us once again, uh, giving up some time to be on here. Ellen, appreciate you making time for us. Welcome back into the podcast. How are you? I'm good.
2: Thanks for having me back.
0: Yes, I know uh, the last time we had you on was that insane weekend following the draft with the with the audio, and we're going to talk a little bit Tyreek Hill as well, because there have been some, um, some updates from that, and let's start there. Uh, A lot of media outlets. This actually came out during the Lions game, Uh, and I didn't want to touch on that uh, topic during the recap episode because I did not really have a chance to go over that. Now I have, and I know you've definitely gone over this, and with your expertise, I kind of want you to unfold that, and we'll talk about how this may or may not impact his, uh, his employment with the Kansas City Chiefs. But real quickly, let's just touch base and make sure we have everything... Uh, accurate here, Uh, there's an ongoing custody battle here, uh, not just for uh, the son, uh, who is now a four-year-old, but this is the child that, you know, the entire story was basically surrounding on uh, when it came to the child abuse allegations, but also the twins uh, that were uh, born a few months ago during the off-season, and this has turned into a crazy mess, Uh, let's just start here, uh, this one surprised me the most. Uh, so Tyreek Hill, he's been only been allowed minimal time with his son since the relationship went sideways over the child abuse allegations, according to court documents. Uh, I saw Black Sports Online, they did a good job of breaking this down. They wrote, uh, something on this and mentioned that Tyreek asked for more time with his son. She denied it unless she was allowed to move in with him in his Kansas home. Uh, is that part of the story accurate right now? And what are your thoughts when you hear that piece of information from the court case? Sure.
2: So it's really hard to say whether or not that's accurate. Um, In a typical custody case um, like this, uh, generally what happens is a petition will get filed initially, which basically just says, we need the court to help us decide how to split up the time with the kids. Um, Very, very shortly after that, the court will set a temporary hearing which decides custody um temporarily until they can have a final court date. Um and that generally at at a hearing like that you present evidence on why you should have more more time with your kids or why the other parents shouldn't have any time with the kids. Um and given the timing of everything, what I assume probably happened is there were these allegations of child abuse. Uh they probably Chris probably testified that Tyree broke their son's arm. Um this audio comes out, all of this stuff um really impacts Tyree's ability to have court ordered um, you know, joint custody of his son and the twins. Uh given that, um, you know, after everything kind of settled down, things were uh not necessarily well decided by the nfl um he probably went back to the court and said i deserve more time with my son but she's not giving it to me now i'm sure that they probably had some sort of um not in court you know off off the record kind of negotiations between the two of them where maybe she did say well sure you can have more time with your son if you let me move back in, but smartly, um, it would appear that he, uh, said no. Um, so I'm guessing that's kind of what happened. So now we're at this point where Tyreek's wanting more time with his son and with the twins. Um, and they're going to have to go back to court, um, to get that figured out if they want to try and alter that temporary agreement.
0: You know, this really upsets me as, as a journalism major, as someone who's been an intern and, you know, did a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, all the way to, you know, writing articles and being on the radio and whatnot. You know, I was really upset from a journalism standpoint how Channel 5 handled all of that. But what, what really upset me even more is that when the story did take a big turn and negative one for Crystal, uh, with the reports of the text messages and the reports that they were authenticated and all, you know, Crystal just basically disappeared and was no longer a participating member in all of this. She didn't even cooperate with the NFL when the NFL reached out to her. Uh, when they were trying to determine whether or not they should suspend Hill. But basically, their uh, investigation and in all of this. And I think that's an important angle that, you know, the Mike Florios of the world, the Mike Freemans of the world, they're refusing to acknowledge that. Uh, as someone who's a lawyer, and obviously you're a Chiefs fan as well, we all are here, but uh, with your expertise, uh, because I see a lot of people, you know, they make these Tyree Kill child abuse jokes online, and they keep saying, you know, he did it, he did it, but... You know, a lot of the national media, has they, they did not emphasize that she all of a sudden was really quiet and did not talk to the NFL when they reached out to her in all of this.
2: Yeah, I think um, I was really upset with the way TV 5 handled it as well. I think um, that was really um, irresponsible on their part. Um, now, from the national media standpoint, you know, I try and divorce myself from my chief uh, fandom a little bit um, you know so we were following this story you know just hoping and praying for something and I think all Chiefs fans were hoping that this would come out in favor of Tyreek um, whereas the rest of the NFL was kind of just saying ah, he abused his child they weren't following maybe as closely as we were um, so it didn't surprise me when the national media, you know, maybe didn't pick up on all the very nuanced pieces of the legal arguments and all of that. Um, I think it's still really irresponsible for people to just joke about him being a child abuser, um, because child abuse is maybe not something we should joke about. Um, as a Chiefs fan, you know, I'm really glad that things appear to have been sorted out. Um, I think it is strange and maybe a little suspicious that Crystal appears to have kind of fallen off the map. Um, It it does go to her credibility that she wouldn't talk to the NFL. Um, But there are reasons maybe not to talk to them because if there are questions um, in family court about their ability to parent their children and care for their children, um, she has to be careful uh, to make sure that Things that she tells the NFL um, aren't going to make it back into family court and then hinder her ability to have her kids. So I, I, there's there's a lot of layers to it, um, and that was what made this so complicated. Is that uh, things got really confused, and that was I think a little bit in part due to people's um, desire to be the first to report. Um, so yeah, it, it was it was an interesting what six months
1: <laughs> absolutely and uh i guess you know not to you know i guess conjecture as to whether or not the next six months will be similarly interesting from a legal perspective here i guess i'm curious as you know the recent filing for joint custody of the sun uh as well as the ongoing you know legal battle for custody of the twins is there anything you know any perspective verdict here that you know would, would that hold any weight Uh, as potential validation of, you know, kind of one side's narrative or the other as far as the initial child abuse incident is concerned? Or
2: am I reading too far into this? No, I think that's a really fair reading. Um, You know, when when you go to an actual final, we'll we'll call it a final trial, um, regarding custody, each parent is going to present their argument for why they should have whatever they're fighting for, whether it be joint custody, 50-50, or if one parent wants more Um, than the other parents. Uh, You have to present an argument as to why that's in the best interest of the child. And so, you know, if, if I was Tyreek, or if I was Tyreek's attorney, I would consider presenting things such as, um, you know, I didn't (laughs) get found guilty by the NFL after a very lengthy and in-depth investigation into me. Uh, She did not cooperate with, the nfl uh she has these text messages where she said she hurt their kids you know there's a lot there that you can present and that that would it would strengthen his argument um i i have no idea what the court will do uh because you just don't know what the evidence that's going to be presented is um you know i hope that whatever ends up happening um, is good for the kids. I guess that's that's the hope.
1: Couldn't agree more on that front. And I guess you know as far as the you know general timing of this is concerned, you know, how long does it normally take to get through to call it that you know final verdict, so to speak? Uh, you know, assuming that the complaint was just filed fairly recently, uh, you know, how long before we have closure on this?
2: You know, it really depends. I would guess typically, Um, From the date of filing until final, you're looking at about a year to a year and a half. Um, And that depends on a number of things, including um, the court's scheduling. Uh, If the court had a really busy schedule, it's going to be tougher to get in. Um, You're looking at how much evidence has to be gathered. Uh, Because in a case like this, this is going to be highly unusual because – You've got one parent who is earning millions, and so there's going to be a lot of financial records that are collected so that they can accurately determine that support. Um, that will be a big factor. Uh, so it, with a complicated case like this, I would think if, if I was going to err, I would err on the side of longer, um, simply because there's, it's a bit more complicated case.
1: Makes sense and i guess you know, you alluded to the fact that you know one of the uh, you know parties in the case is making millions of dollars and of course with the new extension he's making even more millions of dollars than he was previously uh and i guess one of the things that when i saw that contract come out recognizing that obviously it you know came on the heels of one of arguably the most unique circumstances under which we've seen a contract extension signed in the NFL uh, certainly is as, as chiefs fans i guess i'm curious you know, I mean, it's obviously been fairly widely speculated that there's you know going to be some level of protection or provision for uh, the Chiefs to you know I guess kind of hedge against any potential off-field stuff. But you know, a- as someone who I know you're not an agent, but you are a lawyer, so I'm curious. You know, could you provide any level of context as to like you know the sort of protections that really could be written into that sort of a deal? Is there any real limitation on that, or is it just kind of whatever you know the creative minds on either legal team could come up with?
2: Um, you know, who knows at this point. Um, I mean, I assume um I mean, I guess one example we can look at is Antonio Brown's contract with the Patriots. Um, they put in a clause where anything detrimental to the uh, the however the the perception of the team. Um I think that was the language or something similar to that. Um I mean, anything that Tyreek does where he abuses or is accused of abuse is going to look bad for the Chiefs. I assume they have some, something like that in there. Um, I don't know if, if, if Tyreek would find this, but if I was the Chiefs, I would consider putting in something about, um, his relationship with crystal. Uh, we know that that's not necessarily a great relationship. It's pretty volatile. Um, so maybe something in there. I don't know if you can actually control somebody's personal life to that extent, but uh, the NFL certainly would push the limits if anybody was going to. Um, so who knows what the contract actually says, but my suspicion is that the chiefs protected themselves. Well, Um Eirik recognized that the Chiefs stood by him um, and believes in himself enough to believe that he won't need to have those protections.
0: Ellen Mathis joining us here from ArrowheadAddict.com. Follow her on Twitter, at ArrowheadAddict. Sticking with Tyreek Hill, but switching gears to the more fun stuff, uh, on-the-field stuff, the, yeah, the, the the good stuff, uh, 4-0, of course. And without Tyreek Hill, this offense is thriving. Uh, I don't know if anyone would have been able to predict that without Tyreek Hill in the first three and a half games, if you would, that the Chiefs would be either first or second in points per game, total offense, and passing, what do you attribute that to? And, and I know a lot of it has to do with Patrick Mahomes, but even then, I don't think we would have uh, we would have still seen that coming without Tyreek Hill's uh, presence on the field. Yeah, I, I, think,
2: um, I think it all starts really with Andy Reid. Um, I don't know if you've read the ESPN article about Andy Reid um, and the person that he is and the way he coaches, uh, but I think Andy Reid, it, it, it starts and it ends there. He has one of the most brilliant football minds I've ever had the pleasure of watching, and he puts people in positions to succeed. And now that he's coupled with a freak <laughs> – in the form of patrick mahomes i just i think that he makes people around him better um, so you've got guys who are athletic good football players but maybe not the best um who are able to step up be put in situations where they can succeed and then they do um so i think it's andy Reid scheming um and i it obviously is patrick mahomes Um, I, I, this offense is incredible. Um, and you've also had, you know, Sammy Watkins, let's be real. He's, he's a, he's a, what, third best receiver. (laughs) Uh, And he would be first on a number of NFL teams right now. I just, there's an embarrassment of riches on the chiefs offense. Um, now I do think that last week, we saw that we do miss Tyreek his ability to extend the field yeah I think the Lions were able to double Kelsey regularly um and if Tyreek's on the field I'm not sure they're, they're able to do that so I think we missed him last week um and we want him back but uh the fact that the Chiefs are rolling this <laughs>
0: this well is just wait until he comes back. It's gonna be, it's gonna be, a, it's gonna be a, even more fun to watch. If this is fun now, just wait what's gonna happen, uh, once he does return. He did practice on Wednesday, limited participant. We'll talk about that later in our game breakdown. So, uh, making progress, uh, which is good news, uh, for sure. But Ellen, let's talk about the other side of the football. You know, speaking of progress, Uh, Some Chiefs fans are disgruntled with Frank Clark, uh, even though he's been facing a lot of double teams this year. The cornerbacks and a lot of people wanting Jalen Ramsey. That's uh, something that's been a hot topic with Chiefs fans. They're 30th right now in total defense, 31st against the run. And uh, spoiler alert, the Colts are very good at running the football. I want to ask you, do you see this team improving and making adjustments under Steve Spagnuolo as the season goes on? Or do you think this is a representation as to what this defense really is and what they're going to look like the rest of the year?
2: I I think they're going to get better. Um, I think four games under a new system, because you have to remember, Frank Clark didn't play um, some of the the preseason games. Uh, You know, so that... Makes a difference. Um, the starters on defense played what two snaps the entire preseason all together. Um, so now they've had four games. Um, you're getting Mo Claiborne who's coming off of suspension. Um, we'll see how that does, how he does in the secondary. If that helps, do I expect them to be, you know, the number one defense? Of course not. Um, but I do think that as they continue to play together, they're going to. Um, number one, learn how to play with each other. And number two, learn how to play in Steve Signal's, um defense and his system. And um, I think, I don't remember who said this, but um, when you're playing, when you can just play and you don't have to think anymore, that's when it gets better. And I, I'm not sure they're quite there yet. I think they're still thinking when they play. And they're not quite at that point where it's instinct.
0: This is the last question for Ellen Mathis here from arrowheadattict.com. You write a lot about the AFC West over at arrowheadattict.com. And uh, I wanted to ask you this because if the season ends today, the Raiders, shocker, they do currently own one of the two wildcard spots. But it is uh, just four weeks into the season, uh, and by the way, just to be clear, they're two and two, as are the Chargers. They are ahead of the Chargers because of that Week One divisional win over the Broncos. But the Chargers just got Melvin Gordon. Excuse me, I said the Chargers. I might say the Broncos. But the Chargers just got Melvin Gordon back. Kansas City has a two-game lead, and it really helps that they're undefeated, and everyone else in the division went winless for two weeks in a row. But uh, you know, the Chargers, they finished with the same record as the Chiefs uh, last year, and the Chiefs had the number one uh, record in the AFC. Uh, I'm curious, uh, who poses as the biggest threat to you in the division right now to Kansas City?
2: Right now, it's still the Chargers. Um, you know, I don't believe that the Raiders are that good. Um, I don't think Derek Carr is very good. I think he's just average. I think the talent around him is average. Um. And even though the Chargers have some real injury problems, they still have the most talent and they still have Philip Rivers and that's the most important position on the field, quarterback. And if I'm gonna, you know, choose between the Raiders and the and the Chargers, I'm I'm gonna go with Philip Rivers even if I don't like him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, fair enough. I'm still
2: going with him over Derek Carr because Philip Rivers has shown an ability to Dragged his team um, to a 12 and four season last season, and they still they had injury issues last year. I mean, it's the Chargers. What else, What else do we expect? <laughs> I definitely think it's the, the Chargers. Um, the, the Broncos are just not even worth talking about.
0: Yeah, no. They I mean, I don't even think I don't even think Broncos fans are talking about the Broncos right now, uh to say the least. Um no, I do I the Chargers got off to a really slow start last year and they they caught up with the Chiefs. So, uh, I I still I agree with you. I still think they are the biggest threat right now. In the division. Uh, Ellen, uh, I know the couple times we've had you on, you provided your uh, legal expertise on here, so I greatly appreciate that. If you guys want to follow her on Twitter, at Ellen Mathis, I know you you were also a guest on 610 Sports multiple times uh, sharing your uh, expertise on there as well, so greatly appreciate you doing that with us as well. Check out her work at arrowheadaddict.com. Ellen, thank you so much. I'm sure we'll keep in touch, and uh, we'll have you on again down the road. Sounds like a plan. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care, Ellen. You too. All right, our big thanks to Ellen Mathis joining us here on the Chiefstone Podcast. Again, go follow her work and follow her on Twitter as well. Let's move right along here, and as I mentioned before the podcast, four games in, four wins, undefeated, good start, but at the same time, there are things to work on, Zach. Let's start things here. Let's play the music. Five things the Chiefs need to improve on. Number one... This is is really an obvious one. I think everyone will say this. Better start. Play for full quarters. The Chiefs have been outscored 26 to zip in the last three first quarters. They have not scored in the first quarter uh, since there was 24 seconds left in the Jaguars game in that first quarter. Uh, The Chiefs have gone 45 minutes and 24 seconds without a score in the first quarter. They were the best first quarter offense last year. They've got to change that. Number two Take care of the football. One of the biggest storylines for the Chiefs heading into Week 4 was Patrick Mahomes and his first regular season game in a dome and how that was going to be a great game for him. Statistically speaking, not terrible, but not the game we were expecting. Uh, It was really the fumbles, and Zach, you mentioned this. In a dome, you had uh, three fumbles, uh, and at the end of the day, uh, the Chiefs do have four total giveaways. All of them fumbles. No, interse- no interceptions this year from the Chiefs. So definitely got to take care of the football. And the Chiefs definitely need to make sure they fumble less. Uh, yeah, Look, fumbles happen, but have it happen less times in a season. Uh, I mean, three in one game, way too much. So the Chiefs for sure are working on that this week. Number three, connect on wide open plays. My biggest criticism of Patrick Mahomes is, And we we saw this in uh, the Lions game, but more so last year, we saw him miss on wide-open plays that could have gone for big touchdowns. We've seen him connect on those throws, but he's also missed. Listen, everybody misses on uh, wide-open targets. Overthrown, underthrown, it happens. But uh, if I had to nitpick on one thing, that's Mahomes' biggest weakness in my eyes. But in this Detroit game... He missed a lot of players uh, that were open. And they weren't on long passes either. They were more short passes. uh, But overthrew, underthrew some of them. That is definitely something that Mahomes needs to work on with the offense. And as Ellen mentioned, and I mentioned this on Sunday, uh, that is an area where the Chiefs probably missed Tyreek Hill the most. And I don't know if that'll change. It certainly can improve without him. But I'm sure it'll help when he returns. Number four thing the Chiefs need to improve on, defense. I'm going to cheat and put a... The entire defense, pass defense, rush defense, all of that needs to be put here. They're 30th in total defense, 20th against the pass, 31st against the run. They're 19th in points per game. Now, they have allowed quarterbacks to get away. Okay, Lamar Jackson, he's a hard one to to try to bring down. I can understand that. But other times, the Chiefs have struggled on this. Now, they got better in this game against the Detroit Lions. They definitely did. But hopefully we can continue to see more improvement as the season goes along. Number five, man, this is a big disappointment to me, especially when you have Dave Tobes as the special teams coordinator. Why is there a freaking penalty on almost every single punt return it feels? In the Oakland game, there were three of them. In the Detroit game, I think there was only one, but my gosh. um, It just feels like we can't get that typical Kansas City Dave Tobes success On special teams because there have been so many penalties this year on punt returns. Uh, So the Chiefs definitely need to work on that. Those are my five things the Chiefs need to improve on uh, as we are a fourth into the 2019 season, Zach.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I guess just to take it from the top there, couldn't agree more. We need to uh, be able to play four full quarters, whether that means starting out stronger or you know just not letting off the gas uh certainly need to see a little bit more consistency from the offense thankfully we've been good enough in flashes to make up for it but really want to see a more consistent effort on that front uh as far as taking care of the football is concerned I mean fumbles in my personal opinion are more egregious than interceptions because it's an effort thing not a mental mistake thing most interceptions um you know it's it's not you know that you. it wasn't just a sloppy mistake as a terribly general rule. It was just a misread on the part of the quarterback. Whereas fumbles, it's literally, you know, you hold it up high and tight. You take care of that football because, I mean, you mean, know, you cradle it you know as carefully as you can, but, you know, obviously tightly, um, and you don't let the other guy punch it out. Like, you know he's going to try. Like, this is something that coaches harp on, uh, and there's, you know, I mean, there's literally a machine built to smack away at players' arms to try to knock the ball loose. Uh, yeah, you know, that someone went out and built a machine for that. So it's clearly a priority for a lot of other teams, uh, not just in the NFL but across the board in football. Uh, and it's something that the Chiefs absolutely have to do a better job with. Uh, as far as the wide open plays is concerned, you know, we've hit a few of them. I mean, you know, obviously the uh, you know, long touchdown to uh, Demarcus Robinson, or one to Demarcus Robinson, one to McCole Hardman, and then yeah. uh, you know the dime dropped in uh, to Travis Kelsey come immediately to mind. But uh, yeah, obviously, last week missed some of those wide open throws. I think you know that was more. It felt more to me like an isolated incident than a uh, you know, something that I've seen a lot of this season. So I'm less concerned about it. But obviously, you know, still don't like to see it happen uh, whenever it does. The defense. This is an interesting one because you know they the opposing defenses have been getting the ball out so quickly against us, and I think a big part of that. I mean, obviously, the pass rush does a decent job of you know, making things a little bit uncomfortable for quarterbacks, but really it's just because we've left so much open underneath, which I understand, but uh, yeah, really need to see some improvement there on the defensive side of the ball, especially the cornerback play. I mean, Traverius Ward, you know, don't get me wrong, he does a great job uh, of you know, being able to you know, minimize the damage when he, whenever someone catches the ball against him, but... The best way to minimize damage and yardage given up against you, while I appreciate the fact that he's a sound tackler, is to not let the guy catch the ball. Uh, it's very simple, or at least it seems that way. Uh, and so really want to see some improvement out of him. Hopefully the addition of Claiborne will help there. And then, you know, the, the fifth point that you made is the one that has been you know, the absolutely most infuriating to me just because when you think about the, when these plays come in, you know, especially the punt returns, it's after the defense has done a nice job made a stop on third down life is good you're getting the ball back you get a little bit of yardage because the Anthony Thomas or McCole Hardman have been able to move the ball upfield a little bit and then you get it pulled back because of a penalty which is just again it's the mental errors like at this point you know the way I look at it is you're in the NFL you shouldn't be making dumb mistakes like effort or mental errors uh, that's just my opinion but yeah, the illegal blocks in the back, like, I get it, you know, heat of the moment happens, and I think that the refs are pretty whistle-quick with some of those things, you know, you gotta protect the players, I get that, but come on, man, like, especially the ones when they're away from the play, and they really didn't have any impact on, you know, what was the success of the play up until the whistle was blown, um, you know, absolutely gotta clean that up, it's very uncharacteristic of a Dave Tobe special team, so... Really got to clean that up. Hopefully, the uh, the return of Tyreek will help the special teams out a little bit as well, just to get back to a sense of normalcy there.
0: Yeah, and you make you make a good point about how a lot of times with these illegal blocks, it almost wasn't even necessary. That is the case for almost every single illegal block penalty that you see on a punt return. Uh, almost all of them uh, are the case like that. Uh, but you know, this is Dave Tobzak. Uh, you know, we know how great of a special teams coach is, and I feel like the past couple of years, this year and last year, we've just seen special teams, you know, take a take a backseat. Uh, I know Tyreek Hill had a punt return on the very first, or he, excuse me, he had a touchdown on the very first punt return. It was actually the first time the Chiefs possessed a football in that Chargers game, but after that, we have not seen a special teams touchdown since, um, since that first punt return of last year, and... Kind of, kind of makes me wonder what's going on there.
1: Well, and with you know dynamic returners like we've got, you know, with DeAnthony Thomas, who has shown the ability to do it both in the league and then you know especially in college where he was just absolutely electric. But then obviously Tyree Hill and McCole Hardman, you know, both of whom came into the league with you know obviously a solid receiving acumen, but even more highlight reels on the special team side of things. Like, I don't think there's a ton of excuse for someone like Dave Tobe, who is you know was. Partially responsible for the greatness that was Devin Hester. Yeah, you know, I, in Chicago. You know, no, no disrespect to Devin Hester, but I mean, you're not going to convince me that he had more physical gifts than Tyree Kill does, or than McCole Hardman does. I mean, Hester was pretty, you know, pretty speedy, but pretty sure that both Hardman and Hill would take him on in a foot race and win by, you know, a couple of steps. Realistically, so really would like to see that become a more dynamic part of the game.
0: Let us know your thoughts. Do you agree with us? Did we miss anything? Facebook.com slash again at Farzzy21 at Zstegna. And you can text us as well 913-808-2119. And we will read uh, your text a little bit later on. Uh, Real quickly, before we get into the game breakdown, uh, Zach, I don't know if you were aware of this, but Patrick Mahomes has thrown 156 passes this year. Russell Wilson has thrown 133 passes, and Marcus Mariota has thrown 119. And why am I mentioning those three guys? Well, the Chiefs are one of three teams that have yet to throw an interception this year. The Seahawks and the Titans are the others, hence why I mentioned their starting quarterbacks. Uh, Wilson, he's gone 133 pass attempts, Mariota 119, but Patrick Mahomes has more than those guys. Now, listen, you still got to give those other guys credit, but Mahomes, man, to go 156 passes this year without an interception, that's pretty good. Now, for reference, Aaron Rodgers owns the record for most consecutive passes without a pick with 402, a span that started in uh, on September the 30th of last year all the way through December the 16th. Uh, And again, that was, of course, during the 2018 preseason. The previous record was held by Tom Brady in 2011 with 358. Alex Smith came pretty close to surpassing Brady's record uh, at one time a couple of years ago. But when you look at Patrick Mahomes, 156 passes this year. No picks, right? He threw an interception in Week 17 last year against the Oakland Raiders in the first half. Then he threw seven passes the rest of that game. That included the big touchdown pass to Demarcus Robinson, which was uh, Patrick's 50th touchdown pass. Then he was pulled from the game since it was a blowout, and you got to get ready for the playoffs. Uh, So, uh, 163 straight regular season pass attempts right now for Patrick Mahomes. Seven last year, uh, and what was the other number? 156 this year. If you include the playoffs... He threw 72 passes against the Colts and the Patriots in the AFC Championship game. Patrick Mahomes has thrown 235 consecutive passes without a pick. Now, I don't think the postseason stats will count. So right now, Mahomes, if he wants to chase Aaron Rodgers, it's 156 passes. Uh, And let me just say this. I'll mention this again in the breakdown. But the Colts have two players that have an interception this year. One of them is already ruled out for the game. The other one is questionable. So there's a very good chance that the Colts could feel the defense in which none of their players have recorded an interception this year. Oh, and by the way, Patrick Mahomes this year uh, has 156 passes without a pick.
1: Yeah, that's certainly not a stat that I was aware of. I mean, I knew he hadn't thrown an interception yet this year, but I didn't think about it in terms of number of consecutive passes. But yeah, if he wanted to take a run at uh, Rodgers' record, I would absolutely be here for that. Um, You know, it's just, you know, that that's the mark of you know an even more impressive quarterback, realistically, to be able to have the big play upside that he did, or that he does, I should say. Um, but you know, minimize the interceptions. I mean, you know, people always compare Mahomes to Brett Favre, but one of the biggest knocks on Favre is that he was very interception prone because he would absolutely take chances that realistically he probably shouldn't have in some cases. Um, and Mahomes, you know, if he can keep the upside. Of you know extending plays and making you know big plays with his arm without the interceptions, I mean you're talking about you know one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, realistically. So hopefully he can keep this up.
0: There's a good reason to believe he will continue that this week against the Colts. But then again, it's always like these weird moments where okay, the team that doesn't have a player with an interception, which could likely be the case for the Colts, uh, none of their defense, uh, at least their available defense has an interception this year. That's when the interception all of a sudden happens. But we'll see. A lot of people on Facebook and Twitter are saying, I'm I'm now jinxing Mahomes. I mean, oh well. Uh, I don't believe in that stuff, but I guess some do. Let's go ahead and break down the game between the Chiefs and the Colts, as this is going to be an inter- interesting one on Sunday night, Zach, because the Chiefs right now are obviously uh, 4-0, and they want to keep that going. While the Colts... You know they're not doing too terribly bad without Andrew Luck. Uh, some were not sure exactly how the how the Chiefs or excuse me the Colts were going to do without Andrew Luck, and they're not doing too bad right now. And we'll definitely get into that real quickly. The last time these two teams played, January of 2019, did the divisional round. Andrew Luck was a quarterback at the time. Thirty-one to thirteen win for the Chiefs. Weather for this game, uh, last I checked on weather.com, low 60s for kickoff, 5% chance of rain, so should be a lot of fun if you guys are going after the game. As far as betting lines go, the Chiefs opened up as 10.5 point favorites, heavy underdogs for the Indianapolis Colts. Obviously, a Sunday night game, Al Michaels, Chris Collinsworth, you'll be getting that national broadcast referee for this game. Craig Rolstadt, I believe is how you say it, uh, 17 years in the NFL, his first 11 as a field judge. Last two games, Zach. Uh, I'm sure Chiefs fans, if you don't know who Craig Rolstead was, uh, you'll remember him now. Uh, He, uh, uh, kind of an odd trend here. His last two Chiefs games have both been primetime games. Uh, 2018, he was the referee for the Monday Night Football game against the Broncos. A good comeback win for the Chiefs. This one, not a uh, friendly reminder, in 2017 at Oakland, Thursday Night Football The game where the Raiders got two extra plays with zero seconds on the clock. You remember that one, Zach? Sadly, yes. Yes, that was a very frustrating loss for the Chiefs. Craig Roll said was the referee for that one. I know a lot of Chiefs fans were unhappy with that. You know, whether those flags should have been thrown or not, I think they should have. The replays, from what I recall, definitely show the penalties there. So uh, I thought they were fairly thrown, in my opinion, Uh, I know we generally talk about a viewing map uh, from the 506.com, but it's a national game, so obviously no need to share that. Injury report. Uh, As we mentioned earlier with uh, Ellen Mathis, Tyreek Hill is back on the field. He was a limited participant uh, dealing with that shoulder injury. Eric Fisher and Dorian O'Daniel. uh, Fisher obviously is still dealing with a groin injury and DOD with the hamstring. Neither of those participate in practice. LaShawn McCoy. Dealing with an ankle injury, he was limited. Whereas Damian Williams, uh, trying to come back from his knee injury, he was a full participant in practice. A couple other notable names on here. Alex Okafor was limited with a hip injury. Uh, Bashard Breland at cornerback uh, has a toe injury but was a full participant. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, by the way, he was also on the uh, injury report. Still dealing with that ankle injury but still a full participant. So no serious matter there with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Xavier Williams, also a full participant, as was Andrew Wiley. A lot of Chiefs players on this injury report. For the Colts, uh, not looking good for them. So you've got, let's start with offense. Paris Campbell and T.Y. Uh, T.Y. Hilton, the wide receivers, uh, they did not practice. Marlon Mack has an ankle injury. He did not practice either, and that is the player who they need uh, the most this Sunday against Kansas City's defense. Clayton Gathers. The safety, he uh, is in the concussion protocol. He did not practice. Uh, Malik Hooker, their other safety, did not practice either due to a knee injury. The only player dealing with any sort of injury that practiced was Darius Leonard. He had a concussion, and he was limited in Wednesday's practice. Obviously, I will update you guys as the week goes along on social media, but... A lot of uh, a lot of key players on that. Oh, um, well, on both teams, but more so with the uh, Colts. A lot of players unable to uh, to practice uh, for the, uh, for their team on Wednesday.
1: I mean, yeah, your top two receivers, and then also your running back. That's a that's a bummer. Not to mention you know, Malik Hooker being down, who is uh, you know one of the better safeties or better young safeties, certainly in the game. Had a beautiful interception in Week One. Forget who that was against, but I remember it having, was the you know, going up to. Yeah, that's right. It was. Yeah, uh, and, and, you know, and let me. I'm skying so, to you. Know, One hand, it was a beautiful interception.
0: And, and to note right there, I mean that was a key interception too. Because if the Chargers do score right there, the game is over. Whereas the Colts got that interception and the Colts scored a touchdown, and I believe they also scored a two point conversion and that forced overtime. Now the Chargers did win, but without that interception, you don't even have uh, an opportunity to win that football game.
1: Absolutely, and an absolute clutch play by Malik Hooker, but don't get me wrong, I'm not disappointed to see that we're not going to have to deal with him this week.
0: Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's not looking good for the Colts uh, as far as the injury report goes. Uh, As far as the uh, Colts coaching staff, Frank Reich, uh, it was supposed to be Josh McDaniels, but he backed out, so Frank Wright came in. He backed up Boomer Esiason at Maryland, played for the Bills, Panthers, Jets, and Lions. His first coaching gig was actually with the Colts as an assistant, a quarterback's coach, and then a wide receiver's coach from 08 to 2011. Then he coached the Cardinals for a year. He was the Chargers quarterback's coach in 2013, then their offensive coordinator for a couple of years, then was the Eagles' OC for a couple of years. Obviously won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles leading the way. And his offensive coordinator, a name you guys will recognize, Nick Sirianni, he, uh, he coached the defensive backs at Mountain Union, then wide receivers at IUP, and then his first NFL gig was with the Chiefs from 2009 through 2012 during the Todd Haley and Romeo Cornell era. Romeo Crennel, he, uh, uh, he retained a lot of the assistance from Todd Haley But he was the offensive quality control coach, the assistant QBs coach, and a wide receivers coach with the Chiefs. Once he was let go from the Chiefs, he was with the Chargers from 2013 to 2017, and then hired by Reich in 2018. As far as the Colts offense goes, 12th in points per game, 19th in total offense, 25th in passing, 7th in rushing the football, uh, 132 yards per game, which is pretty good. But again, uh, there's a question as to whether or not Marlon Mack will play. We'll get into him, but Jacoby Brissett, Zach, this is the guy who is probably going to have a lot of pressure on his hands going into, into this game because of Marlon Mack's injury. 911 yards on the season, but he does have 10 touchdowns, which ties Mahomes and Lamar Jackson for the league lead, and has only two picks this year. So given, you know, you were just thrown into this crazy situation with Andrew Luck Retiring? Not too bad. Not too bad at all for Jacoby Brissett. 90 completions out of 138 attempts. That's 14th most in the league. Mahomes is 5th with 156 we mentioned earlier. He's got 102.1 passer rating. 11th best among active QBs. And he's been sacked just 6 times this year. So Zach, do you agree with me that there is going to be a lot of pressure on Brissett given that there are so many players that could possibly miss this game for the Colts?
1: I mean, I suppose so, but by the same token, I think the pressure obviously has a cap on it because realistically, you know, w- if you're the Colts, you know your ex- your expectations coming into the year, which was to be, you know, certainly within the playoffs, uh, and you know possibly making it into the second weekend there, you know, those hopes were pretty effectively dashed with Luck's retirement. So, really, I think that you know the pressure on Jacoby Brissett can only be so high because realistically you know, he was just kind of you know, put into uh, active duty so to speak uh you know at the, due to the uh, luck retirement so anything that he produces you know keeping this team competitive is really kind of gravy for the Colts um no. you know they're looking at him as that kind of one year stopgap so i don't think he's under that much pressure realistically that,
0: that's, that's a good point um that is a valid point uh you know he's he's dealt with this before obviously coming into the year um but at the same time you do want to uh, you you obviously want to increase your odds with um with your key players. But you look at some of the guys who they have Marlon Mack, he's fifth in the NFL in rushing yards. And boy, uh, I'd like to sit here and say if the chiefs don't play him, they could have a good day defensively, but man, the chiefs have also been known to allow some backups to do well. You look at uh, Jordan Wilkins. He's got 12 rushes for 97 yards. Neheim Hines has 11 carries for 31 yards. So these are guys that, you know, if they're looking to make a name for themselves, they could do it this week. Wide receivers and, uh, tight ends, Uh, T.Y. Hilton, he's got 20 catches for 195 yards. He's outside of the top 30 in both categories in the NFL, but he does tie first uh, with several others for four touchdown grabs on the season. Their running back, Hines, uh, he's got 14 catches for 74 yards. That's the second most catches on the team. A couple good tight ends here. Jack Doyle from Tennessee came over. He's got 11 catches for 109 yards and a touchdown. Eric Ebron, one of the best tight ends last year. Eight catches for 128 yards. And a couple of touchdowns. Second on the team in touchdown catches. And I mentioned Paris Campbell, who uh, is the rookie who they drafted uh, this year. Uh, he's got ten catches for sixty-two yards. Had a really good run at Ohio State. Was third team All Big Ten, then second team, and then first team. Uh, so he's been doing a good job uh, for himself in the uh, in the NFL. And by the way, I apologize. I think I mentioned he was a rookie uh, last year. Was his first year in the NFL. So out there uh, as far as the offensive line goes Zach uh this is a very good offensive line more specifically the left side with Anthony Castanzo and Quinton Nelson the left guard uh Nelson is the, he's rated the fifth best guard by pro football focus and Castanzo the third best tackle Mitchell Schwartz is the second best and Cowboys Lael Le- Collins is the highest rated tackle right now. But Nelson, he was a Pro Bowler last year as a rookie. Costanzo definitely deserves to be a pro bowler this year. If there's anything that you're at least trying to rely on with this offense, you know, it's this it's this offensive line right now. Yeah, you might be missing a lot of key players, but that offensive line being there, we we don't we don't address this much, but it does start at the line of scrimmage. You win and lose battles uh with the offensive and defensive line battles there and for the Colts right now, if there's anything good for them, you got some reliable offensive linemen there to help Jacoby Brissett going into this Chiefs game, obviously a hostile territory at Arrowhead.
1: That's very true. And the other thing that, uh, you know, is overlooked about this particular group offensive linemen is that, you know, Quinton Nelson, I mean, actually the athletic did a great piece on him. Uh, you know, I think probably about this time last week, realistically, if you want to you know dive in and look back at it, you, it's pretty easy to find on the athletic.com. Uh, but they did a great write-up, you know, just kind of showing how Quentin Nelson has really been able to transform, uh, you know, really kind of the entire demeanor of that offensive line, just because he is the kind of you know player who is not only going to you know block you, you know, obviously as hard as he can, but you know he takes pride in being able to put you in the dirt if he can. Uh, another uh, you know offensive lineman of note, the uh, their right tackle is Braden Smith. Yes, you know the local kid from Olathe. Uh, who went down to Auburn then uh and now is you know out there with the Colts so it'll be an interesting little homecoming for him uh, you know obviously as Chiefs fans we can't hope it's all too happy but uh <laughs> certainly it'll be could you know it'll be cool to see the local kid play in the uh hometown stadium again
0: switching over to the Colts defense Matt Eberfluss, the defensive coordinator uh some Mizzou fans might recognize the name. He was an assistant coach at Toledo from 92 all the way through 2000. Gary Pinkle got hired by MU in 2001, so Ibra followed him and was the defensive coordinator from 2001 to 2008. Um, You know, when he was there at Toledo as a player, I think uh, he played for three coaches uh, Nick Saban was one of them And then Gary Pinkle was the other So uh, definitely uh, from some familiar faces there And obviously followed Gary Pinkle Then coached the Browns and the Cowboys And now he's got his first gig as a defensive coordinator Frank Reich This is his, this was obviously his first, first gig as a head coach And all these coordinators This is their first time being uh, offensive, defensive And special teams coordinators So fun little fact there With this um, inexperienced coaching group But still a good coaching group with this uh, Colts team uh, as far as the defense goes, 25th in points per game, 16th in total defense, 13th against the pass, and 25th against the run. Uh, yeah, sure, they're 25th against the run, but you know the Chiefs are going to go pass-heavy because that is what they do, and that is what you should do when you have Patrick Mahomes, but going to have uh, some uh, defensive players to keep an eye on here. defensive end, Kameko terre he is tied for the highest pass-rushing grade by PFF with Khalil Mack. Uh Ture has one sack and a forced fumble. Danico Autry's got a, a couple of sacks, two and a half sacks and three and a half tackles for a loss. By the way, no one is talking about this player here, Justin Houston. You remember him, Zach?
1: I do. Yes. He you know had one really great year and then his knees decided to not work so well.
0: Yeah, twenty-two sacks he had with the Chiefs in twenty fourteen. Came so close to breaking the single season sack record. Had a couple of other good seasons too, by the way. Uh, but as far as this year goes with the Colts, one sack, one and a half tackles for a loss. Also has a fumble recovery. So that is the defensive line for the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, linebacker Anthony Walker leads the team with 33 tackles, a sack, and three tackles for a loss. And their secondary, mention a couple of them. They might be dealing with a couple of guys who may not play this week. Mentioned Gathers and Hooker. Uh, they are the guys who've gotten interception this year, but there's a chance that, uh, uh, Hooker, uh, is already ruled out, but, uh, Gathers, very, he's questionable right now, that is, um, that is the report right now, that's the indication, but they've got some other, uh, interesting guys in the secondary, quarterback Rak Yassin, uh, a second round pick, uh, safety, uh, I hope I'm saying this right, Kari Willis, I'm sure I, uh, butchered the first name there, he's a fourth round pick. I think you got it. Uh, uh, Willis uh, is second in tackles uh, Both defensive backs very active On this uh, on this defense And then you got cornerback Pierre Desir Who has, uh, he's had an interception Each of the last two years His coverage skills, very similar According to Pro Football Focus To Charverius Wards uh, Again, that is by their standards So, listen, uh, there's a chance That when you watch this Colts defense As I mentioned it's going to be a defense that they'll field that none of their players have an interception through the first four games, and Mahomes has yet to throw one. So, uh, safe to say we may uh, we may expect a, a good day. I know we expected that from Mahomes last week, but per- perhaps looking at, uh, instead of the venue or, you know, the dome aspect, we're actually looking at the skill aspect here, and Mahomes is a great quarterback. The Colts don't have a great defense, and that is putting it nicely.
1: That's totally fair and you know one yeah, you know, like we mentioned earlier, some of the bright spots on that defense won't be playing because they're hurt. Uh, though it will it'll be you know, certainly bittersweet to see Justin Houston make his arrowhead return. yeah. Uh, you know, nothing but love for that guy and uh yeah, you know, still gonna be weird to see him in another team's uniform.
0: Special teams Ray Ventrone, he played for the Patriots twice. And ended up being an assistant special teams coach for the Pats. Then he joined the Colts as a special teams coordinator. Adam Vinatieri, everybody knows who this guy is. Very, very decorated career, but a terrible season. Four of seven field goals. He missed uh, from short range quite a lot this year. In fact, he missed three field goals in week one. One of them is a PAT. He missed a field goal last week against the Raiders, but didn't really make an impact given that uh, the Raiders won in a blood. Everyone thought he was going to retire, but... um, Not the case. Uh, Still playing football. Pro Football Focus grades him as the worst kicker in the NFL. Meanwhile, their punter, uh, Rigoberto Sanchez, he is rated the second best punter from PFF, just outside the top 20 when it comes to punt average yards and net average yards. Uh, But only 40 return yards allowed and just one touchback in 13 punts this year for Sanchez. And as far as their uh, return specialists go... Campbell, who again, not sure if he's going to play. He has five returns, 413 yards. Zach Paschal, he has the other kick return for 18 yards. And Chester Rogers, uh, responsible for eight punt returns this year. He is averaging 13.3 yards per punt. He's one of the wide receivers on the team. So special teams, especially given the kicking situation, not a, not a. a if this is going to be a close game and you're relying on a game-winning field goal or a game-tying field goal, man, if I'm the Chiefs, uh, I'm, I'm happy if, that, if, if it comes down to that. I like my chances, but if you're a Colts fan, that's definitely one where you shield your eyes and you don't want to see the outcome of that.
1: Very strange just to consider the fact that realistically what you've just said is that you, know, you expect Adam Vinatieri, arguably the clutchest kicker of all time, to choke in the clutch, which... I mean, just goes to show that age catches everybody at a certain point, sadly. Uh, but realistically, if I'm a Chiefs fan and uh, you know we're in a close game that's decided by a field goal, regardless of whether or not I think we have the better kicker, and in this case I think we do, I'm going to be very upset because we should beat this Colts team by certainly well more than a last-second field goal.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely think it'll be a one-sided game. Uh, but, but as far as Venetieri goes when Peyton Manning was with the Colts, I remember, uh, I think it was 2007, where the Chiefs played him really close, and Vinatieri missed a couple of key field goals, and it was a low-scoring game. I don't know if you recall that game, Zach, but he did end up coming through when they needed him the most in the end, so, uh, but gradually, yeah, he has uh, kind of, I mean, his age has kind of shown. He's, what, 46 years old, I think, 47, so... Uh, But, hey, uh, he's up there. He's making a lot of money. But, man, at some point you you would think that um, he would need to retire. But, hey, uh, I don't want to sit here and say who should and shouldn't retire. Um, All right, Zach, let's go ahead and put a bow on this. What is your score prediction for Sunday Night Football?
1: I'm going to go with 35-21 Chiefs, of course.
0: Do we get off to a better start in the first quarter? Do we score in the first quarter?
1: I would think so. I think we'll get at least a touchdown in the first quarter there.
0: All right, well, the last time the Chiefs had a Sunday Night Football game at home was against the Bengals. That was a 45-10 score, and I'm going with the same score, 45-10. I think Kansas City will hit 40 points again this year, uh, and uh, they're going to keep the Colts in check in this game. I think they'll be able to do that and uh, cruise their way to victory on this one, and they'll be 5-0. and uh, It'll be the third year in a row... That they'll go five and zero if they win on Sunday night. Let us know your thoughts. You agree, disagree? Facebook.com/slash Farzine at Farzin21 at Z Stegna 9138082119. Let's quickly read uh, uh, a text and an email we got first from Michael in North Carolina out of the 336. Uh, he says, "Is there any chance the Broncos would trade us Chris Harris?" Okay, look, I have been asked this quite a bit on social media and I address this topic and I'll do it here on the podcast just real quickly there is no way the Broncos will trade a big name player like Chris Harris to Kansas City first of all you don't you don't trade a player like that to your division I know Andy Reid did it with Donovan McNabb very 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 rare situation there the only way the Broncos would even give up Chris Harris to the Chiefs is if the Chiefs give Patrick Mahomes in return. So obviously not a realistic situation. Uh you just don't give up your be- one of your best players. I know my- Harris has not been the same, but you don't give up a key player to a division rival, let alone the best division rival.
1: And arguably the biggest div- you know division rival that you've got. Um, as much as you know it would do my Jayhawk heart good to see Chris Harris come home. Uh it's not going to happen. You know, it'd be great, but not a chance, you know, unless the uh, if that were to happen, it would mean one of two things, if not both. That would mean either the Chiefs gave up way more than they should have. The Broncos think Chris Harris is completely washed up or possibly a combination of both. So I think it's safe to say we can go ahead and put this one to rest.
0: Yeah. And, and again, I know a lot of, as you mentioned, he's a KU guy. So a lot of people would love to see that. out as well. Uh, but I just don't see that as a realistic possibility. Uh, we got an email got uh, from John, uh, Farzin at com. First time emailing you, trying to keep it short, trying to see your thoughts on another option at cornerback help. I heard from another podcast that the Jaguars are turning down two, uh, they're turning down the offer of two first round picks because they don't want picks that'll be at the tail end of the first round. Morris Claiborne is about to return from his suspension and I know he hasn't been able to practice with the team. I also know he had some training camp and preseason to get Uh, To kind of get to know the defensive system, I feel he he will be an improvement. Hopefully, it can't be any worse. That being said, what are your thoughts on going after Patrick Peterson if the offer is much better than the offer for Jalen Ramsey? He's a veteran, and I feel he would only take a couple of weeks to get even slightly acclimated with our defense and already be uh, another improvement. My opinion, the defense is doing enough to keep the offense in the game. Could we afford to go after Patrick Peterson instead and hope that he can be ready for a playoff run down the stretch of the regular season. Thanks for your time. Love the podcast. Thank you, John. Appreciate you sending the email. Let me just say this. Early in the season, when people asked me this, I was against the idea because Peterson was and still is dealing with that suspension. But at at this point, if Ramsey is not on the team... uh, What's the difference acquiring Ramsey now and acquiring Peterson a week or two later before the deadline? Um, I thought, it, price. It, I, I thought, um, I thought Ramsey was going to be dealt by now. I know he was inactive with a back injury, for whatever that's worth. Um, not quite sure what's happening there, but look at this point. I guess hey, if there is a better offer for for a cheaper price to get Peterson, sure, why not? I'm not. I'm, I'm certainly not going to say no to that.
1: I'm absolutely with you. I mean as we've discussed ad nauseum at this point on the podcast, you know, I don't have any aversions to Jalen Ramsey. It's just all about getting it at the right price. Uh, And so with that in mind, if we can get Patrick Peterson, who is still a comparable cornerback, he's the kind of guy you can still plug into the defense and say, guess what your job is to go shadow and shut down their best receiver. That's what he does. Uh, You know, he's definitely still got a few years of that left in him. And, uh, you know, even if we only get him as the rental for the rest of this year and then the playoffs, you know, You give up a second or third round pick for that, I'll do that all day. I might even do it for a first rounder, given that it's the 32nd pick in the draft if it goes right. So, you know, in that case, I'm all for it. But, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the Chiefs look to do as Peterson's suspension finally runs out.
0: Appreciate the text. Appreciate the email. If you guys want to text uh, 913-808-2119, uh email as well sure that works farzina, farzina but texting definitely makes it a little easier uh definitely try to keep your guys' comments too uh just a couple of sentences uh like i said zach, we had a couple of long ones the past couple of weeks and i appreciate it I, I definitely want to take the time to read them if you guys are taking the time to text us uh because that does not go unappreciated but uh try to make yours uh as short as possible but get it straight to the point and zach and i will definitely read your text on the next episode all right Uh, we're going to do one of our closing segments. So let's go ahead and wrap this show up and throw our penalty flags. Alright, I'm going to keep this one short and sweet to the point. It's not Chase Daniels. It's Chase Daniel. There's no S. I'm seeing a lot of Missouri fans who get this wrong. I, I, I can't comprehend that. It's Chase Daniel, not Daniels.
1: I mean, this is where you know the KU fan and me would make some crack about the quality of a Missouri <laughs> education, but I'm not going to do that. That wouldn't be nice. Uh, but in all seriousness, it is a pet peeve. It's it's very clearly Daniel. Like, yeah, you know, it, it's not hard, but
0: I digress. All right. So as we know, Jay Gruden made the in-game switch to Dwayne Haskins last Sunday against the Giants. He was asked in his Wednesday press conference about his quarterback plans for Sunday against new england and he said we don't have one right now if you don't have a plan and look i'm not saying you have to reveal this game plan of yours but if you're gonna sit there and say we don't have a plan this is almost terrible than romeo cornell in 2012 when he was asked why jamal charles the best player on the team was only getting four or five carries you should not be a head coach and quite honestly jay gruden when you just look at him on the sidelines he has a look on his face like Please fire me. Let me go be an assistant for my dad in Oakland. Uh, Jay Gruden should not be the head coach right now for the Washington Redskins. To be
1: fair, I don't think any head coach is going to succeed in that organization with the current, you know, organizational structure that they've got. Uh, in short, they've got, you know, an incredibly dysfunctional owner, but the bigger issue is actually the GM. Uh, but regardless, I mean, yeah, Gruden is definitely looking to, uh, well, I don't think anyone's ever looking to be let go. But uh, if ever there was a coach who looked like he knew that his goose was cooked, Jay Gruden certainly fits that bill. Uh, and who knows? Maybe his older brother will uh, hire him out in Oakland. We'll find out.
0: Wait, is that his brother or his father?
1: It's his older brother.
0: Oh, I thought it was his, his father. All right, well.
1: Don't get me wrong. Like, There's a pretty significant age gap. Okay. But uh, okay. not not quite a paternal age gap.
0: You learn something new every day. Okay, this is kind of funny. Um, the leading money winner in Korea's Pro Golf Tour, uh, the guy's name—I hope I'm saying it right—Bio Kim or Bio Kim, however it may be con- uh, announced or pronounced. Excuse me. Uh, he is ranked the 302nd best golfer in the world, which is crazy to believe that the rankings go that long. But hey, uh, I don't make them. Uh, he was suspended three years on Tuesday for flipping off a fan who kept using his cell phone to take photos, and that disrupted his swing on Sunday. Uh, first of all, that's insane that someone would be suspended three years for that. Kareem Hunt got eight games for kicking and shoving a woman. Uh, I mean, there are other incidents we could compare this to. Uh, three years, that is insane. But here's what's even more insane. It's like, dude, you're the 302nd-ranked golfer in the world. Quit acting like someone taking a picture disrupted your swing or whatever you're ranked 302 okay calm down
1: to be fair if the taking pictures there involved that little sound that you know the of the your camera lens shuttering i know that wasn't my greatest you know impression but whatever <laughs> bear with me you know if it made some sort of a noise on the backswing like especially as a professional, like, you know, when you're locked in, like, I mean, I find it annoying as an amateur when I hear people, you know, yelling, uh, you know, during my backswing, which of course, yeah, you know, some of my buddies do then on purpose, se- separate discussion, but, uh, you know, it-, it can mess with you a little bit. And obviously if you're a professional, you have something riding on the line, you know, I- I'd be a little upset about it too, but you also have to remember that you're a professional and you have to maintain some level of decorum, especially in a sport like golf. So, you know, politely asking somebody involved with the tour to get the fan to stop. That's the play. You don't have to go flip them off.
0: All right, last one here. This one's interesting, Zach. Vonte's Burfect just got a season ban because he plays too violently. And by the way, it's annoying how people from Burfect's camp is trying to come to his defense. But I don't want to touch on that. I want to touch on this. Uh, Patriots defensive back Jonathan Jones delivered a vicious Hit to Bills quarterback Josh Allen And he was flagged for it It was a helmet to helmet hit but the penalties Offset due to an offensive penalty Sean McDermott of the Colts uh, Or excuse me of the uh, Bills was upset About this Uh, Bills safety Micah Hyde he had a very Interesting quote and he said look if one of us did that to 12, referring to Tom Brady, we wouldn't have been in the game anymore, and there's no way, there's no way we would have continued to play in the game. Now listen, I'm not one of those people that believes that the NFL is rigging everything for the Patriots. If, if they really were, they would not have came away with that harsh, harsh punishment on Deflategate. Um, Patriots fans were upset about it, the Patriots themselves were angry about it. I, I mean, look, I don't believe in that now. With that said, I do think it is kind of interesting that the Patriots, and specifically Tom Brady, is getting away with a lot of penalties, Zach. I mean, you look at that Chris Jones uh, alleged, uh, you know, what was it? Roughing the passer. Yeah, roughing the passer when you hit the shoulder. sorry,
1: I said it wrong. Roughing the passer. Yeah,
0: exactly. Um, I mean, you had that. And then Brady tweets about... Uh, the uh, excessive flags in a game and suddenly the, the NFL is having a meeting about this. It's like, look, there's something that needs to be discussed right now because, again, I'm not... a. For, but, but, by the way, going back to this whole, oh, the, the NFL rigs the game or whatever for Patriots. Uh, listen, when the Patriots lost two in a row last year in December, I went on the Patriots' Facebook page, and, and I do this often to see how fans react to losses uh, for their teams... They kept talking about how the NFL wanted the Patriots to lose, and I kind of laughed at that because everyone says that the NFL wants the Patriots to win. But again, uh, I don't want to get too much into that. There there, there needs to be a serious discussion, though. How is it that Tom Brady is drawing these crazy flags, as the one we mentioned in the AFC Championship game, not using that as an excuse, but come on. I mean, th- something needs to be said right now. Why is it that other quarterbacks don't... I mean, th- you don't see them... Deal with this as much, but Tom Brady, man, he gets away with it.
1: I mean, I think that, you know, while obviously there's a level of, you know, and I understand to a point where people are coming from when they like to say that the Patriots get all the calls because the Patriots have been winning. And, you know, I, I mean, I hear you whenever people are out there saying stuff like that. I don't necessarily buy it, but I hear you. Uh, I think the bigger issue here is really the fact that, you know, they protect the quarterbacks I mean if you look at you know and this is something that realistically as Chiefs fans we are going to start to benefit from because let's not pretend that the NFL isn't out you know it's in its you know its primary goal is to make money that's just a fact I mean yes they put on football games and that's fun for us but they do that so they can make money and the primary you know drivers of that you know let's be real it is the quarterbacks and so as such they're protecting them that's just kind of how it goes Uh, And so Brady obviously being, you know, one of the statistically, you know, certainly by terms of, you know, just the sheer number of rings, you know, would qualify as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Uh, You know, he's going to be protected as such. Um, You know, I think you could argue that Peyton Manning used to get some of those calls. And like I said, I won't be shocked to see Mahomes start getting some of those calls because they protect the most valuable assets, which are the quarterback's, that's just how it is.
0: Yeah, so. and, and I'm seeing a lot of the comments. People are saying, oh, Mahomes, the new golden boy, got to protect him, which, you know, it's funny because we sat there in that Ravens game wondering, you know, how are the Ravens getting away with so many calls on Mahomes? So, you know, fans, it's always perspective. That's one thing. I remember Roethlisberger, he took a vicious late hit, and the, he was on the ground and would not get up, and the referee waited to throw a flag, which... You know why? Um, Is it Roethlisberger, or was it not getting up? You know those things are always interesting, but I I do think there needs to be a discussion about that. And um, I I seriously, and I'm glad Micah Hyde said something. I'm glad he spoke up because he is right. If uh, you do hit Brady like that, well, then you're going to have all the uh, judges from the uh, behind the uh, offensive backfield. They're going to throw flags. (laughs) They just are.
1: Um yeah, not to mention you're likely streaming for a suspension. let's be real oh uh,
0: yeah <laughs> I mean that's another separate discussion there. uh it's crazy. it's crazy to say the least uh real quickly before we sign off here, I do want to thank everyone uh I know uh I, I made this uh public on social media uh, it's been a past it's been a couple crazy days I apologize uh I try not to get too emotional here but uh my grandpa did pass away on Friday. And uh, it it was it was pretty tough uh, to to hear that. Uh, so big thanks to you guys who reached out. So many kind words from all of you guys. I've read all your tweets, all your comments on Facebook. Uh, some of you guys have even messaged me uh, on Facebook and Twitter. So greatly appreciate that. Uh, a couple of days later, my mom, um, who's uh, this was her father, her grandfather passed away. She just recently had neck surgery, doing very well. Uh, was released from the hospital on Tuesday. Uh, had her surgery on Monday. Uh, and she is doing great, and you guys have all been very kind about that, so, uh, you know, I know we talk sports, and we disagree, and sometimes we go a little crazy with each other on these kinds of things, uh, but you guys have been kind, uh, I've had some friends who've reached out to me, texted me, uh, including you, Zach, and I really appreciate everyone who has done that. I do want to share a funny story about my grandpa, uh, before we sign off here, so, he uh, he called us in 2005. I remember the year. I don't remember the game, but in typical—that's you know, obviously under Dick Vermeil. Typical Dick Vermeil fashion, the Chiefs scored 30 plus points in a game. So he calls up and he says, "Man, congratulations to your to your football team." When he says that, I know he's referring to soccer uh, because in other countries, you know, they say football. So he says, "Hey, congratulations to your football team. How'd you guys score that many points?" and I was like, "What's he talking about?" So I look up the score to like the Wizards game at the time they were the Wizards before being supporting KC, and I was like, "Wait a minute, they're not even in season right now. What is he referring to?" And he uh, he said the score to the game, and I I don't remember the exact score, but I was like, "Oh wait, this is the Chiefs score." He's getting foot. He was listening to an international radio call, so I was like, "Oh wait a minute, I know what's going on here. He heard the word football, and he's confused by everything. So he thought." Like Kansas City soccer team scored thirty goals or something at one point, but no, it was Dick Vermeule's offense that uh, that he got mixed up with. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's one of the funny stories uh, that I can recall with him. I wanted to share that uh, on social media with you guys, and you guys really appreciate that story. So, uh, but again, thank you all. You guys have been very kind, and uh, I definitely appreciate all of you guys who have uh, sent your positive wishes to my family and I. Big thanks to all of you listening to the podcast. Facebook.com slash Farzee Vesugian. Like the page. We'll do a Facebook Live at halftime and after the game. Follow me on Twitter at farzine 21 Follow Zach on Twitter at ZSeginga. Share and subscribe uh, the Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast. Share the links as well. And text the podcast 913-808-2119. I'm Farzee Vesugian. He is Zach Steginga. appreciate you guys joining us here on the podcast. We will talk to you guys after the game on a late Sunday night.